You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Let me just remind you of these few verses from chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Let's pray. Our God, as we turn again to your word, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. We need our minds informed, but also we need our hearts warmed, and we need our wills moved. And so we need your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us for your glory, we pray. Life never stands still. Either you are running with the will of God or you're running from the will of God. Christian, every day you become more conformed to the image of Christ or you regress from that image. You never stand still. Someone said the Christian life is a bit like riding a bicycle up a hill. You know, stop pedaling and you fall off. You know, You're either going forward or you're going back. Last time that we met around Jonah's uh, little prophecy, we saw how Joseph ran away from the Lord, and uh, we, we just thought that was incredible that a prophet of the Lord could think that he could run away from the Lord when he would have been familiar with Psalm 139. It reminds us that there isn't anywhere that we can run that the Lord won't see us because He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. It all seems so silly that he did that, and yet the truth is we do it constantly, don't we? Trying to get away from from God is like trying to get away from air because the Bible says that in him we live and move and have our being. Surely for the person in covenant with God, it is utter folly to try and flee from him. God never will let you go out of his sight. He has determined to bless you and he will keep you and he will keep after you until he overruns you with the blessing that he intends. Didn't he say, I will never leave you. Never will I forsake you. And even Jonah would have been, would have been aware of that word. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and paid the fare. Happy coincidence? Well, you remember last time we looked at that. Last time we saw how Jonah would have looked on this as a providential provision. It was probably not the time of the year for sailing in the Mediterranean. And yet Jonah easily finds a ship and and is immediately ready to sail. But the clincher was that he had the fare to go. And Jonah... uh, had the fare, it got on, and it was amazing to discover there was still a cabin. And so he could go down into the ship, down into the cabin, 
down into his bed and stretch out there. It was just amazing how it all fitted together. Sometimes when everything is going right, you conclude that God's hand must be in it. But that may not be the case at all. You need something more specific than circumstances. A Christian needs the confirmation of the word of God. Verse 1 tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what did that word explicitly and clearly say? Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah went exactly in the opposite direction, to Tarshish. All the circumstances in the world cannot overthrow his word. I wonder many times in your life and in mine, have you and I gone against the, the teaching of the word of God because you had tunnel vision and stubbornly saw only what you wanted to see? A course of action that you wanted to follow. A plan that you wanted to go through. And this is what you wanted regardless of anything else. Regardless of what the word of God said. And during my ministry I've met people like that. I have, I've listened to couples explain to me how they felt it was right that they should be married when one of them was a Christian and the other wasn't. And I had to explain to him, well, you know, you may be determined to do this, but I have to tell you that God says explicitly in his word that we're not to be unequally yoked. And therefore, I can't take part in that wedding. And, and that's been heartbreaking. That's been heartbreaking. That's not been an easy thing to do. Four things I want you to notice from this, from these verses. I want you to notice, first of all, the storm of the Lord. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. That word sent actually means hurled. The Lord hurled a great storm at them. And insurance companies, uh, you know, aren't far off the mark when they refer to hurricanes and storms as an act of God, because that is what they are. But scripture is more specific. With this storm, the Lord took aim at target Jonah and hurled his tempest with unerring accuracy. Elsewhere in the Bible, this word that's translated sent here describes what a man does with a javelin. He takes carefully aim at his chosen target and with all his strength, he hurls it at the target. Jonah's ship is the Lord's target. And, and this man cannot possibly escape. The God of the covenant is in hot pursuit of his child. And, and folks, there, there is nowhere that you and I can hide from God. He has at his disposal all the forces of the universe and he can summon them to do his bidding as he sees fit. You know, he can cause a storm to come that planes are grounded, that appointments can't be fulfilled, all kinds of things that he can use. There is nowhere that we can hide from God. And of course that is application both to believer and unbeliever. 
And if you're not a child of God here this afternoon, I, I want to tell you that there is nowhere that you can hide from God. There is nowhere you can run to to escape God. If God sets his eye upon you to save you, then he will pursue you like someone has described him as the hound of heaven. And he will pursue you. And there is nothing that you can do to escape him. And the same is true for the believer. The believer who is going in a direction that they know is not what God wants them to do. Well, God's not going to allow you to do that. He's going to pursue you. So there's the storm of the Lord. And, and sometimes he does it through a storm. He'll bring us through a storm or into a storm so that we might wise up. There's the storm of the Lord. And then there's the sailor's fear. That's the second thing. This storm must have been outstanding. It must have been ferocious because it strikes fear into the hearts of experienced sailors. Their fear had a twofold effect. We're told they prayed to their gods and they jettisoned the cargo. They prayed to their gods. And we don't know whether these men were religious or not. We have no idea. But as someone has said, there are no uh, atheists at the front line. You think about Ukraine today. There are no atheists there. There are Russians on one side and Ukrainians on the other. And I tell you, there are no atheists there. They're all looking to their God, whatever their God is. Because they know they are in imminent danger. And so they'll cry out. These men prayed as they had never prayed before. Maybe people that would have, that would have despised prayer and, and would have given other people a hard time about talking about praying. These people, when they're up against it, will pray. And, and isn't it true, folks, that it is fear that often constrains men and women to come to God? Isn't it? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord reveals the Lord to us. It's the beginning of wisdom, the psalmist says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We begin to understand who we are and who God is. And where we're going. In contrast, the Christian faith is an all-weather faith. Believing prayer doesn't need to be wrung out by terror. Because believing prayer is or ought to be there, the Christian's native air. Prayer is the air he breathes. His prayer life will certainly have defects, absolutely. None of us are perfect at prayer. But the Christian has a prayer life, however inadequate. And the believer knows to whom he is praying. Because he has a personal relationship to his Father God, who has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. And outside of faith in Christ, no one, comes to the Father. Do you remember the words of Jesus? He said, I am the way, not our way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
exclusive. There's only one way. The sailors cried to gods that existed only in their imaginations. Let me ask you, are you related by faith in Jesus Christ to the only true and living God, the God of Jonah? Are you related to him through faith in Jesus Christ? There's the storm of the Lord, there's the sailor's fear, and in that sailor's fear we find they prayed to their gods, but secondly, they jettisoned the cargo. They jettisoned the cargo. Now, now this was their livelihood. Their livelihood was transporting cargo from one part of the Mediterranean to another. But now, because they're up against it, because they're in fear of their lives, the stuff that was so valuable, so, so precious, over the side, they jettisoned it. And this was a wise and responsible course of action. And, and one that, that puts in perspective the value of stuff when measured against life. And, and it's a lesson for all of us, isn't it? Because all of us are materialists at heart. All of us. We, we like stuff. We like things. You know, people talk about retail therapy. They like to go out and buy things. And they like to accumulate more and more and more. But when you're faced with life or death, what use is that stuff to you? It's useless. Many who have lived godless lives take to lightening the ship when death stares them in the face. Jesus said, life is more important than food and the body more important than clothes. How sad that it takes the storms of life to bring this home to so many. There's the storm of the Lord. There's the sailor's fear. Then the third thing I see in this little section of chapter 1 is the world's rebuke. Where was Jonah meantime? The sailors are battling the, the storm. They're lightening the ship. They're doing everything they can to bring this ship safely to shore. Where's Jonah? Well, he had taken a hasty exit from uh, Gath Heifer. He ran, the scripture says. He ran. He, he maybe did a three-day journey in two days. So physically, he's exhausted. He heads down into the boat, down into the ship, down into his bed, down into sleep. And Jonah is snoring so loudly he can't hear the raging wind on the deck above. How sad. Here is a child of God, a prophet of God, and he's weary from fleeing from God. Physically exhausted from running from God. And, and I see two great potential dangers for the Christian church in this story. The first one is the danger of feelings. Jonah hated to run out on an assignment that the Lord had given him. But everything was working out fine. And, and he was feeling quite happy about it. Even though he knew he was going against God, 
he was feeling at peace. He was fine with it. Jonah had peace in his heart and he fell asleep. Beware, brothers and sisters, in Christ of overplaying the significance of feelings. Remember Ahab. Ahab felt exhilarated when he first claimed Naboth's vineyard until he met Elijah. King Saul felt great as he offered the sacrifices before the battle until he met the prophet Samuel. King Herod felt quite content taking his brother's wife until he met John the Baptist. Do not assume that fickle feelings determine whether or not you're doing the will of God. Jonah had plenty of peace. He was sleeping like a baby at the very time when he was running from the will of God, he had great peace. Beware of appeals to inner peace. Listen to what God says in his word and let his word be your guide, not your feelings. So there was the danger of feelings, but also the danger of sleep. Sleep is what runaway souls are seeking. They long for complete insensibility to their sins. How many convictions have been drowned in drink and smothered in the search for sinful pleasure? Even when they know they're doing what's wrong, there are Christians still feel at peace. I've, I've come across them. Even though they know what they're doing is wrong, but have a complete peace about it. You know why they have a peace? Because they have stopped doing God's will and the devil isn't giving them a hard time anymore. They're no longer at war with the devil because they've, they've joined the devil. Remember, insensibility is not security. A man may never be more in danger than when he's dreaming of ease. Jonah slept while his companions on board were in desperation for their lives. They were fighting for their lives. And I fear a good many professing Christians are playing the Jonah here, enjoying selfish ease when all around them are perishing. Let me say that again. Enjoying selfish ease when all around them are perishing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your kith and kin who aren't Christians are actually perishing? That they're on that broad road that leads to destruction? A sleeping Christian is not only helpless but he's also useless and he's a hindrance to others. I've called this subheading the world's rebuke. Listen to this. It was a heathen captain who goes to the servant of God and asks this question. How can you sleep? 
How can you sleep? He says, get up and call on your God. From a heathen captain to a servant of God, to a prophet of God, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Look at the world today. Look at the state that it's in. People heading as hard as they can go to a lost eternity. And the church, by and large, is asleep. We have been charged with responsibility to go to the ends of the earth with the good news. It's the best news that man can hear. That there's a way back to God. That our sin can be dealt with. That we can be brought into our right relationship with our Creator. That we can avoid that we can avoid hell, that we can go to heaven. The best news that anyone can hear. And it's our responsibility. But many are asleep. What was the cause of this great storm? It was the disobedience of the servant of God. Think of the awesome responsibility resting upon us as servants of God. It is possible to endanger the souls of others by our disobedience toward God. Do you ever think about that? It's possible to endanger the souls of others by our disobedience toward God, by our indolence by our laziness, by our selfishness. Gospel-hardened saints make gospel-hardened sinners. Wonder is that why we see so little response to the gospel in the world? The church has fallen asleep. I mean, the church across the whole world, it's at ease in Zion. And this word comes to us. Up and pray. Up and pray. God have mercy on us. Let me finish just fourthly by looking at our response. And I want to mention four things very quickly. One, seek God now. Now. Don't wait for times of stress and personal difficulties. Don't wait for trouble to come. Because let me tell you, it's coming. Trouble comes to absolutely everybody. There's no one here in this room today that will escape trouble. It comes to everyone sooner or later. So seek God now. Not, not wait till the storm comes. The storm's coming. Don't wait for the storm to come. Seek God now. Seek to know him, to know his will for your life. Secondly, seek the guidance of God's word now. When trouble comes, men would rather look anywhere else than to God. 
try and find solace in drink or drugs or sex or cults or philosophy or sport, and they all lead nowhere. Do you know, we're far, far more privileged than Jonah in his day. We have the whole canon of Scripture, all God's inspired word. Seek the guidance of God's word now. Seek God now. Thirdly, seek Christ as Savior now. Here's the heart of the matter. How will we seek God? How will we take his word as the standard of our, of our faith and life? Only by receiving Christ as Savior. Let me remind you of that word of Jesus again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Not by your good works, not by your church attendance, not by what you pay into the church, not by helping your neighbor. Only through Christ. Christ saves. Lovely portion in Matthew 11, the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. One last thing. Look what happened when Jonah obeyed. If you've read through the book, you'll know what happened when Jonah obeyed even reluctantly. I doubt if there was a more reluctant servant of God ever for a specific task than Jonah. But look what happened. Revival happened. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Ninevites were saved because Jonah was obedient. I said last time, you know, Jonah wrote this book and bravely he put in there all his many weaknesses for us to examine for future generations. Why? So that we would learn from them. So that we would learn from his mistakes. So that we wouldn't repeat those mistakes. Let's be sure we learn the lesson. Let's pray. Thank you.